Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Small doses. Self-help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and Nancy so funky. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Small Doses Podcast. We are joined here with the Kadita Stone. <laughs> I say the Thank because you. even if they don't know who you are yet, they're going to know. Like they're going to know, know eventually because <laughs> you're just that, you're just that girl. You're Thank that girl. You. And it takes um, on they're about one. to find out right here on Small Doses Podcast. Okay? okay. So first, let me just tell y'all. The way that I met Kadita was, first of all, I met her in a white suit. Okay? So let's just start there. <laughs> all right? Anybody bold enough to just be out here in a white suit is, and that's not Lisa Ray, like, that's telling you already who you're dealing with. All right? So I met her in a oh white suit goodness. at a voting event for When We All Vote. And she approached me. I was like, Miss Seals, I'm a big fan. You know, I want to get you to Alabama. And, you know, no one asks me to come to Alabama. And so, but, you know, the thing about Alabama is that if you are versed in any level of, like, civil rights knowledge, of just Black American history, et cetera, then you understand that, like, you got to go to Alabama. It's like, you got to go to Alabama. You got to go to Mississippi. Like, these are just places that you end up having to go because they are at the foothold of all of this movement that took place in the 60s and before. So I was afforded the opportunity to come to Montgomery, Alabama to perform. Now, I will say this. I thought I was performing inside. Okay. I thought I was performing inside. And I, did, I, I, I found out I didn't on know a golf that. cart ride over <laughs> that I was performing outside because they were doing a whole like festival kind of performance, live stage, outside situation in honor of like bringing to light and, you know, advocating for and amplifying voting rights. Am I am I right so far? Yes. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. Yes, so, but you're right. You're right. Y'all, Kadita set me up, okay? Kadita set me up. Oh, Kadita set me up. Kadita had me, Kadita had me doing stand-up on an outside stage, y'all. Kadita <laughs> had me doing stand-up on an outside stage. I don't think y'all understand, like, Bill Burr, Bill Burr bombed on the outside stage. Okay. Oh my goodness. So I'm just like, this is coming at me and it's coming at me fast. People are in lawn chairs. I'm walking white people. White people who can hear what I'm saying are like, we out of here. They get mad. (laughs) You know, the black people are squinting, trying to hear what I'm saying, even though I'm on a microphone. It was many things, but I was very appreciative that a lot of people did come to the front to like, laugh in front and then you know I also just performed like for myself like in my mind I was just like you know the jokes they're funny to you but what I didn't truly 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 grasp was the immensity of what this was all in representation of right and what this was connected to and the work that Kadita and the folks involved with this that they had already done and that they were actually in the process of taking to another level and when we talk about you know voting rights and we talk about the Supreme Court I think a lot of times people think literally like after 1965 people really feel like after the Voting Rights Act of 1965 like all right things just that was it and it's like no we've seen voting rights act be gutted um we've also seen these states in response to that do 
really deleterious things to undermine their voters. And so I wanted Kadeva Stone to come on here today to talk about Alabama voting rights and the Supreme Court case that they just won against Alabama and why it's significant, how it came to pass, and what it means for the rest of us here in this United States. So, you know, small things, real light, real light. Yeah, real light, real light. Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you. But just to give folks a background of like how we even got to this point. So in 2013, uh, we actually lost two important parts of our Voting Rights Act, uh, which goes to your point of how people think that once the Voting Rights Act was enacted, you had to do nothing else. It was protected. But that's not true. And so the parts that we lost were Section 4B and Section 5. And those parts had something called a coverage formula, which basically covered jurisdictions or protected jurisdictions that had a history of voter discrimination. So this meant anybody prior to 1965 that was lynching folks, lynching Black people, killing Black people, harassing Black people, all the things, um, they were protected under this particular section in the Voting Rights Act. And so in 2010, Shelby County, Alabama actually filed a lawsuit asking the federal government, telling them, like, we believe Section 5 is unconstitutional, saying that, you know, oh, look at the, look how far we've come. We've had a Black president. You know, look how, you know, the rate of registered Black people has gone up. You know, we don't need Section 5 anymore. There's no need to protect those jurisdictions that had a history of voter discrimination because look how far we've come. We know that's a lie. And so just fast forward, 2013 is when we lost those two sections of that Voting Rights Act. So you have Section 2 left, which is what we were arguing on. And Section 2 says you cannot discriminate based upon race or age or sex in any voting rights situation. So and none of those things. And that's what Section 2 said. And so because we didn't have Section 4B and Section 5 to protect Alabama, because Alabama was one of the states that was under that section that was protected, because obviously we do have a long history of voter discrimination. And so that's how Section 2 came into play. And so we use that as an argument to prove that uh, Alabama gave us incorrect congressional districts. So in terms of Alabama, there are two main Racist. I won't, I won't say racist. Well, yeah, two main, two main racists is black and white. That's not to say Asian Americans don't exist in Alabama. That's not to say Latino population doesn't exist in Alabama. That's not to say that uh, Native American populations don't exist or the others. That's just to say that these two races make up most of the, the population more, the in Alabama. Representation. Exactly. Okay. Right. And so we have seven congressional districts in Alabama, and each one of those seven congressional districts represent fourteen percent of the population. And so if we do some quick math, in 2020, the census told us that Alabama had a Black population of 27.9% of Black folks, and that's rounded up to 28%. So if each one of the congressional districts represent 14% of the population, and you got 14 plus 14 equals 28, and you have 28% Black population, you should automatically get two congressional districts. However, that was not what happened. And that is why we brought Section 2 up to par, because they intently discriminated when the evidence is there. That's like us coming to the table saying, hey, we are owed these two pieces of pie. We know y'all got y'all others. We're not worried about that. We just want our two. And they taking it away, talking about, no, you can't have it. Well, like, what do you mean? Where's right. the, what? Like, what? So, um, right. It's, it's right here. The people are there. And I truly believe that it was even more Black people, but, you know, the different theories that are out there about the census and like why people feel like they can't take it, probably take it. And I feel like, you know, we also had the pandemic going on at the same time. So that also more likely played a role as well. So 
yeah, that's what we are now. The case has been ruled in favor of us. Um, we did get our new maps. How'd that feel? Oh, I cry. I cried for like two days. We just got the maps like last week. I cried for two days and well, two days leading up to like the court day and then the day after and then the, you know. Well, cause wasn't there a situation where they had got the ruling and the ruling came down and it was like, yes, this is actually incorrect and you need to give them a new district. And then they were like, Man, fuck y'all. We gonna do what we wanna do. Yeah, they did it twice. They did it twice. They were told by the Northern Court of Alabama to redraw the maps the first time. And that was January of 2022. And then the Supreme Court came out with their answer and told them to redraw it. And both times they like appealed it back to the court expecting a different answer. And it's like, what part of no right. don't you understand? By two courts, like you gonna <laughs> take that back to the Supreme Court for real? You think they're gonna change their mind? Mm. Why do you think they work so hard to suppress the black vote? I think they they've seen what it's done. That I mean, you know, I think if we go back and look at the Bush era, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that when the Voting Rights Act had to be reinstated, I think Bush did it every single time. And then that was like after they saw what Obama did and how the turnout showed then is when they started to see when we try to continuously attack voting right. rights. Because it used to be a bipartisan issue. Like, it was no problem. Oh, you want your voting rights? Okay, bet. But now it's like, you want your voting rights? No. You can't. It's impossible. We don't, we don't even like y'all. Well, right, right. So I, I think that's why. Now, something I think is very interesting in this, what I think a lot of people don't realize is the relationship between how districting maps are drawn and Republicans and Democrats and Black people. So when yeah. Joe Biden says something like, well, if you don't vote Democrat, you're not black, people feel like that's a very inflammatory statement. But can you give us some insight into the relationship between Democrats and blacks as it relates to the actual way that maps get drawn that give us more access? Yeah. So let me kind of start, I guess, redistricting as a whole. So redistricting is a process that happens every 10 years. How redistricting gets our data is from the census. And so then all that data is taken from the census to these respective areas. So let's say you have, it's really just everybody sitting at the table wanting a piece of who is in what district. And it's important for individuals to be, so that also, let me, dang, that's such a good question. Why you got me like this? Um, so when it's time to redraw these maps, there are like opportunities. There are like public hearings that people have, um, different municipalities have to hear from the public, you know, whereas that like, hey, we want this grocery store in our district or we want this in our district. We want this school in our right. district. Those are things that are done at the table. Mm -hmm. And so how that relates to Democrats, I think it's all about like who's in that seat at the time. Yeah. Which is not, you know, obviously we know it's not always going to be a Democrat at the seat, but I think it's important to know that who's going to be at the table when they're in that seat and like why you should be there. Because if you're not there, then you get redistricting brings in money for districts. It brings in money for healthcare. It brings in money for education. It brings in money for everything that, you know, helps our quality of life as citizens. But I guess what I'm trying to say is like, okay, these white people are always suppressing the black vote, right? Always. Uh -huh. And often, well, to my understanding, they're suppressing it because they're assuming black folks are going to vote Democrat. They're going to vote against whatever their interests yes. are as white folks. And as of currently in 2023, the Republicans have got a strong footing in that mindset. 
right? Yes. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to understand because it feels like, all right, when people say like, well, Republicans and Democrats are the same thing. If that were the case, then why would Republicans be working so hard to prevent there being a new district that would be predominantly black and could possibly vote Democrat? Am I making the correlation correctly? Yes, you're making it correctly. Yes, yes. Because in, I'll say this, in Alabama, it is that way. You know, most most Black folks vote Democrat, and then most white folks vote Republican. Do the Democrats in Alabama have very drastically different policy than the Republicans? Yeah. In what way? I think every, <laughs> every way. You want an example? Alabama just passed, they just spent like $1.1 billion on building new prisons, Whereas, like, Democrats were not for that. They were against that. Basically. You know, we we can't get Vote, voting uh, early. Abortion rights? Oh, yeah. We don't. Yeah. Abortion is illegal. We can't. You know, Democrats, obviously, were pro-choice, as it should be. But that's neither here nor there. Same thing with even trans rights. Like, you're denied health care if you're a trans child. You're denied health care here. And obviously, Democrats were, like, opposite of all those things. They want them to have health care. But we are also set up in a way to where our House and Senate is super majority. So that means they can pass anything without a Democratic vote. They don't need Democrats to vote for anything because they have majority, super majority in our state House and Senate. So what that means, y'all, is that let's say the House and Senate have like majority Republicans in the House and there's like, okay, let's just for numbers sake, let's say there's 20 people in the House and they've got 15 Republicans and five Democrats. They have a rule that says that as long as the super majority of the individuals in the House vote on it, then it can pass. There doesn't have to be a bipartisan representation for it to pass. Right. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So help me understand, like, what made you all feel like we can win this case? Because I think so many folks, like, they might see what's wrong, but they'd be like, we can't eat, you know, what are we going to do? We, they already got this sewn up. Yeah, so it was uh, four individuals and two organizations. Evan Milligan, who's a named plaintiff. Shalila Dowdy, she's in the Mobile area. She's an organizer, amazing woman. Letitia Jackson, same thing, amazing woman. She's in the Dothan area. And Alabama NAACP and Greater Birmingham Issues were all plaintiffs. The only one that thought we were going to win the entire time was Letitia Jackson. Everybody else, we was like, uh, I don't know. But, you know, it's just one of those things that happen where it's like, okay, we see a wrong being done. We're going to do what it takes yes. to get our side of right, you know? And I even was questioning because the same year we filed the case was the same year the Supreme Court overturned abortion. And we knew the history of the Supreme Court, given what happened in 2013 when they ruled and said that we're getting rid of Section 4B and Section yeah. 5 of the Voting Rights Act. So given all the history and, you know, just what we know about this country really, uh, we just weren't 
too sure. But I will say that one played to Letitia Jackson. She threw and through. She was like, we're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. How did that help y'all keep going? I think it was just a matter of like how much we needed Black fair representation. Like, period. And it's to the point where we shouldn't have even been begging for it. Like, following this case was pretty much begging. Like, these folks ain't doing right. Can we get some help? You know? And it's like, it shouldn't have even gotten to that point. Like, as soon as the census information came out and they saw that Alabama had a Black population of 27.9%, they should have said, oh, Made yeah, the change. They, yeah, just make the change. But how did Letitia being steadfast help y'all stay the course? I think just her, I mean, just her saying, you know, just her, just her being encouraging, I think. This is not a difficult question. How did Letitia being encouraging help y'all <laughs> stay the course? <laughs> I don't know. I think it was just her being encouraging about it. You know, her telling us was not it to annoying? give up. To was continue. it good? Like, no, like, it was like, not. Why no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. It was. It wasn't annoying. I think it was very empowering, and it was very encouraging to hear her say things like, "Keep going. We got this. We gonna win it." Just constantly, like all the time. Was there any point where y'all were like, you know what? Let's just throw in the towel because these no. cases last for no. so long. No. Nah, we were willing to go to trial about it. Like, we weren't giving up that easy. It's too much on the line for that. Because when you don't have fair representation, you don't, you, you're putting your voting power on the line, you're putting health care on the line, you're putting criminal justice on the line, you're putting all these things that affect our quality of life on the line. And nah, we were willing to go to trial about it if we didn't get the answer that we wanted. So what even got you into this type of work? Because you are a Gen Zer. And I would say, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but were you the youngest of the individuals involved? Yeah, the youngest. Yeah. So take us down that road. So I've been in this work since I was 13 years old. My father was sentenced 60 years in prison when I was 13. And then when I turned 14, I had the opportunity to actually page at the Alabama House of Representatives. And paging, the page program is like a little errand girl or boy that you send messages from like lobbyists or like constituents and you take them to the house floor and you give them to whatever representative. And so I did that from like 14 to 20. What made you even want to do that? Like most 14 year olds, I feel like are like, I'm trying to go to the mall. <laughs> you like, I'm going to the Capitol building. Right. I decided to do it. I had a neighbor when I was younger and she hit my mom up and was like, I think your daughter should do this. I think we're really cool. And I didn't even know about government before. I had no idea, but it wasn't until I was sitting in that room and I saw the power. Like, I saw who was making the laws. Like, right. they're making bills every day. Wait, can I just tell you this? I don't think people really understand that these people are making laws. Like, yeah. I think people really, because I will tell you, somehow that thread has been, like, disconnected for folks. Because they're just like, oh, it's a politician. They are lawmakers. Lawmakers, yes. I yes. don't even want to call them politicians anymore. I be calling people lawmakers. Because I'm like, right. y'all need to understand that these mofos will take a pen and change your life that quick. Yes. So you found that out when you was 14 in the PAGE program. Yes, in the PAGE program. But so I immediately went to go find the next representative I knew that was in that county that my dad got sentenced in. And why are you looking at me? Because I'm just like, I feel like that <laughs> is a level of awareness that a lot of folks at that age may not have or that wouldn't necessarily even have the gumption to do. Even if you had the thought, you may not have necessarily said, but I'm going to go do it. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you were like, where they at? Where yeah, they I, was, at? I scoped them at? out. Yes, absolutely. I scoped them out. 
And one thing I want to say about that, when my dad first got sentenced, it was one of those things where I can't remember particularly whose case it was, but around the time it was somebody who got charged with capital murder and only got a sentence like 15 years. And I was like, that's crazy because my dad was out here selling some drugs. He got 60 and somebody that killed somebody only right. got 15. And so like when I was like, when that happened, that is what I always stood in the back of my mind was just like, that's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And so then it wasn't until I got that opportunity to be in that space and I was like, oh, it's not fair. I'm going to go find somebody and tell them it's not fair <laughs> until something is done. Because right. like there should be no reason. And so that's that's pretty much what I did up until I did that program up until I was 20. Um, I talked to lobbyists, talked to senators, talked to representatives. A huge shout out to a woman who had been who's really been there for 30 plus years. Uh, her name's Ernestine. She's Ernestine. Amazing. She's very, that's an Alabama name. But. That's a, hey, hey, it sure is. She was a very pivotal woman in that and helping me make that happen and getting my dad released. So shout out to her. So how did you end up getting him released? You like met a senator that was. Yeah, a pretty part- much all of that. Met, I, t- I talked to Commissioner. Corrections at the time. I talked to the. But how did you get these meetings? <laughs> like, did you like run up on folks? Like, how? I, I yes, I did. <laughs> I did. I just asked around. I was like, well, who is this? Who is that? And they told me. And like, it even got to the point around the time of like the criminal justice reform bill coming out. It got to the time where committee meetings were happening. Like while I was in high school, I was skipping high school and I was going up there. With my page badge, like I was there for the week, knowing what? I wasn't to like be there to like talk to somebody. Ask me what I was doing when I was skipping high school. What was you doing? Playing spades. <laughs> Playing spades. That's what I was doing. Kadita was at the courthouse. Kadita was at the Capitol. I was in an empty classroom playing spades. Not even for money, like for candy, you know? So kudos. Yeah. Kudos. <laughs> so that's what I did. And then, like, up to his release, I, like, applied for an internship up there. And then they were like, oh, no, we know you. You want to work here? And I was like, oh, a job? I'm 19. I'm going to get a state job. Yeah. But then that, like, you know, I started to really see how these lawmakers, to your point, were acting. Um, I'll never forget one lawmaker in particular. It was around the time where, like, school shootings, you know, were happening and, like, students were walking out and protesting. Yeah. Uh, I wrote down a message. Students were, like, calling. It was like, it was crazy that day. I wrote down the message. Gave it to the representatives. He read it, balled it up, and said, I don't have time for this. And that was, like, my point. It, it, before it even got to that, I had seen other stuff. But, like, that was kind of the breaking point where I was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. I got to go tell my people what they got going on up here. I got to get on the ground. I got to do something. Because if these people out here on the streets knew and what they were doing up here, it would not be a lot. Like, that would not fly. Um, and so, you know, after a few years working there, I decided to leave and like get on the ground until I got involved in like campaigns, nonprofit work, organizing, things like that. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So what do you feel like is the energy of voters in Alabama? Like, I just saw how... There was a whole election in Louisiana and they basically were saying that like black folks just did not come out to vote. And so Louisiana, like it flipped the state back to red, like all the sheriffs are all Republican, et cetera. So what is the vibe in Alabama? We have this past election, we had the lowest voter turnout in a long time, like a very long time. We only had 20 percent of voters show up. What do you think that's attributed to? I think it's attributed to people are seeing, you know, I mean, it's not very good options here. And I also think it comes from not being politically inclined. Like, I don't think there's there. At least there hasn't been. What's the word? There hasn't been something that makes people get up. You know, like okay. I feel like there has to be like a connection with like community and culture. I mean, times have changed. The same tactics that they use in the voting rights movement. But a lot of that base building was in church. For example, a lot of people don't go to church these days, you know. Right. And so I think it comes with like trying to find different tactics on how to make that connection on a cultural level more than anything else. Cause that seems to be driving the community these days, cultural things. So do you see yourself continuing this work and doing and working on that? You know, I am at a very interesting phase right now. I'm tired. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm necessarily giving up, but I, you know, it, it, it just comes a time where like, you just gotta, you need a little break. But I guess if I'm looking down the road five years from now, I don't necessarily see myself leaving. I don't necessarily see myself leaving the work. It may not be in the same capacity, but it may be. uh, I don't I don't see myself leaving. No, that's why when you said cultural events, I was like, you know, I wonder if there's a version of staying, you know, staying in this, but then creating the cultural events. Right. Versus dealing with, you know, the stuffy folks, the stuffy racists up at the hill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 I like that. I like how. Yeah. I like how you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) I feel like there's something that I just feel like there's so many issues right now that are outside of just Alabama. Like, what would you say are issues that Alabama voters would need to like pay more attention to because it's is coming down. I would say a big one that we have right now is Medicaid expansion. So over 70% of Alabamians agree with Medicaid expansion. And Medicaid expansion would also bring over 50,000 jobs to Alabama. What does Medicaid expansion even mean? I think some people may not even know. That means it's basically healthcare expanded to people of lower income. So currently I think you have to be making, and and don't quote me on this, but it's somewhere around this number. You have to be making under thirty thousand to qualify for free healthcare under like the Medicaid part in Alabama, and that's under thirty. Like you can't be, you can't live if you're making under thirty thousand dollars a year. I'm you, like, how are you even eating? Because yeah, and so that's a huge issue here because there are. We, we're, that's not even realistic. Like you can't expect somebody to be living under $30,000 and be living comfortably. Like that's not a thing. And so that's a... you. They're like, basically like you You need to be like swimming in poverty to get free healthcare. Yes, yes, to get free healthcare, yes. And it shouldn't even be like that because we know healthcare is not a commodity. Like healthcare should be given. You know why they don't give healthcare, right? Yeah. 
tell him. <laughs> big Pharma. That's all I'll say about that. Well, not even just Big Pharma, but I mean, the original reason that they didn't create universal health care in, in America was because they didn't want Black people to get it. Oh, no, I do not know that part. Yeah, that was the original reason. The original reason why universal health care, because it was on the table, and then they were like, yeah, but then Black people will get universal health care, and we don't want Black people to get universal health care. Like, now that they're not slaves anymore, they don't even serve a purpose here. So if we make it so that they can't get universal health care, then they'll just die off, and we'll get the country back to just being white people and doing whatever we want to do. And basically, that just didn't happen. The only version of that that kind of came into place was... I think it was the Spanish flu maybe, but I can't, don't quote me, but basically there was like an epidemic happening where they were like, well, I mean, we're going to have to give healthcare now because like the, if the black people get sick, they're all of our servants and our workers and laborers. So, you know, they'll get us sick. Oh, fine. Well, fine, fine, fine. Like we'll give y'all some healthcare. And so I'm like so mad that the name of what it was is like, it's like losing, leaving my mind right now. But basically they were given access to healthcare, but they were basically quarantined. So it was like, you can come over here and get free healthcare, but you can't leave here once you come in here. And so that is the original reason why, and it has continued to be pervasive, right? So when you see things like Medicaid expansion being a conversation, as opposed to just a sign on the dotted line, like, you know, when we saw Obama and his Obamacare whole thing and people trying to act like, well, I won't be able to choose my doctor. And it's like, but that's not true. Like you will be like, how many times do we have to tell you that you can choose your doctor for you to stop saying that you can't choose your doctor? Right. No, it's really all wow. about this idea that only certain people should have access to health care. Wow. And now you got me thinking, I want to know, because I know it's nearly like 300,000 Alabamians that don't have health care insurance, like that don't have it at all. Mm-hmm. But I wonder like what percentage of that are like black individuals. You know, I mean, it's like even when we look at just like what happened with the pandemic, right? It's basically like everybody was down for the masks and being in the house and getting their toilet paper. But then once black people started dying, they were like, oh, well, forget it then. We'll just be out here. <laughs> Literally. That's that's true. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, like forget it. Get, yeah. <coughs> yeah. Like I had, a, I had a lady cough on me in a Target. And when I tell y'all... I almost caught a case. I almost caught a case, y'all. I know. Y'all. You, I, know. I almost caught a case in that Target in Orlando. That Mall of Millennia Target, y'all. I almost caught a goddamn case. That the is man, disgusting. The only reason it did not turn up is because the sales get he had heard, like, things turning up and was, like, running over. And so when she hit the cough, he saw it. And I reared back, and he was like, <laughs> and jumped in between us and said, Ma'am, you need to leave immediately and like removed her. And oh her man was there gosh. and was like, Why you always starting shit? Like, what's wrong with you? Damn. Yeah. Right. Like, coffee, oh, no, no head coverage. She did on nothing. purpose. She did. She literally was like, I just beat the surgery, so I don't care. Cause she was very close to me. And I was like, Man, would you mind giving me some space? And she was like, Excuse me? I don't need to give you space. And I was like, yes, that's actually what we're all doing. We're all giving each other space. I've got on a mask. You don't have on a mask. Can you please give me some space? And she was like, I just beat a surgery. You think I give a damn about a mask? And I was like, I don't know about any of your life, but what I do know is I want my life and I need to pick a, I need to pick a leash right here Correct. because I'm Correct. about to get a dog and I need you to back up. <laughs> and then she coughed on me. 
Yeah, no. And then she coughed on me. Yeah. And y'all. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely It was not. a time. The rear now, back, I like though. That was her I definitely, <laughs> I leaned back on this right leg. Whoa. It was a cock back. But we are going to lean in <laughs> to some questions from our Instagram. Uh, and just basically from people who want to know things that you have the answers to. So we're going to head on over to the Patreon. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Last Dose. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, it, it really sounds like this was monumental, not even just for Alabama, but for... America. What do you feel about this election that's coming up? I know a lot of folks, myself included, feel like it is monumental, but do you think we might be kind of being alarmist or do you feel like with what you know in the work that you're doing, do you feel like it is very important? I mean, yeah, it's definitely important uh, how I, you you asked how I feel about it, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous just because of how, you know, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Um, with Trump trying to run again, DeSantis is uh, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. And I don't want to see, I don't want to see Trump win again, but there, it's not like they're stopping him from running, you know? So I'm nervous, but I'm hopeful. I'm nervous, but I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm hopeful. Why are you hopeful? I'm hopeful just because I do, this might sound a little corny, but I do believe in America. I do believe that we can, Figure something out if the worst were to happen. I do believe that. History does repeat itself, and I do feel like we are in a very um, history repeats itself moment. Yeah. So I do believe, you know, I, I do believe in America. I do believe that we can make that change towards progress. We just going to probably have to fight for it like we did 50 years ago. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, what part of history do you think that we're repeating? Definitely civil rights era. Like, they're taking away Black education. Like in the schools, like you can't, you can't learn about, instead of them using the word slaves or using, uh, what's the word? Indentured servant. No, black is people that, Is slaves. that happening in Alabama? Uh, no, that's actually in Florida. Ah, good old Florida. Yeah. Right. Where do you feel like black folks, what is our role in this upcoming election, both on the state and federal level? I would say we need to get it together and stop telling people that our vote don't matter because it does. If it didn't matter, they would not be fighting so hard to take it away. Literally. And we need to be showing up. So that means like showing up city council meetings, showing up county commissions, showing up state senate, state house, like when when they're in session, showing up in those ways. Because if we are not on that table, we are literally on the menu. And they showed us time and time again, not just now, but they showed us in the history that they really don't care about our opinion unless we're there to fight for it. And I feel like we could show up more and just do more in our communities, paying attention to what 
these lawmakers are passing because they aren't benefiting us. And they sometimes they don't benefit nobody. They just benefit the lawmakers. And that's not right. So I think that we also need to, um, I think all of that is one word I would say is accountability. Hold each other accountable, but also hold our lawmakers accountable to the areas that they represent. Because at the end of the day, they're there to represent us, not themselves, not they're there to represent the people at the end of the day. Y'all heard it. It's bigger than just Alabama, but what y'all have managed to accomplish, it can be a game changer in what seems to be the longest chess game of racism of life. Like, I don't think people really... I recently just did a a dig, like a deep, deep, deep dive on just reconstruction. And y'all, I ordered the Voting Rights Act. I ordered the Housing Rights Act of 1968. I ordered the Civil Rights Act so I can read it and understand the sections and understand the entire thing, not just like, yeah, y'all can vote. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I need to understand, you know, all of the uh, intricacies of it. And listen, I'm doing that because I'm a nerd and I'm extra. And I don't think that has to be the case for everybody. But to your point, just showing up seems like such a difficult task. And, you know, I think we also understand that we have to reach out. We have to seek these things out. Like, the, it's not going to come to us. They're not going to knock on right. your door and call you and be like, hey, what's up? Y'all know we had a uh, school board meeting? <laughs> No, we have to insert ourselves. So Absolutely. I thank you for inserting yourself and y'all squad into this effort and continuing to fight. When you say you believe in America, Nicole Hannah-Jones always talks about how, you know, when we talk about America and democracy, like that wasn't realized by the forefathers. That was realized by black people. Black people Absolutely. are the actual true engineers of democracy in this nation where we Absolutely. were given, you know, when our freedom was taken, because we definitely had to take that shit. We had to then act on it and we've done it in voting in participation in government participation in these systems and schools etc and in the effort to continuously try to change them so Kazita keep at it girl thank you so much Amanda we need the youth we need the youth <laughs> when, when, uh-uh, uh-uh. when you run it when you run it you know Kazita I can't especially after no let me just tell you something real quick okay okay I I was talking to a politician for one week mm-hmm and that was enough for me to be like, I can't, I couldn't do it. I, I can't do it. Not only can I not date y'all, I can't be y'all. Like, I can't do it. And I say politician because he he does make laws, but he's a politician. And they really let me know, like, I, I ain't cut. I ain't cut like that. It's not, it's not, it's not for me. It's not of me. And I would be better suited really lifting up the people who are like, I was made to go into this space and change it. Like, there mm. are people who are born with that in their blood, like, in their bones. Like, they're really like, no, for real, like, I was made to go into this space and change it. Like, we interviewed um, the mayor of Baltimore, Brandon Scott, and he was like, I, since I was 12 years old, was like, if I want to change my city and make it better and safer, then I'm going to have to be mayor. And, like, he's like, I just feel like that was wow. in me. Whereas a lot of other people who are in these positions, they're like, it's been in me the whole time. But what, they, what they're talking about is just like being in politics. You understand? It's the same way yeah. that like, listen, your girl been that girl for the screen since I was six. Okay. Like I've been a theatrical person this whole time. 
<laughs> that was always going to happen. However, I always this whole time knew that it would be like for the purpose of like change, right? It wasn't to be a star. Yeah. It was in yeah. order to like be helpful. So like there's just different right. spaces. And I just feel like for me, I'm better suited at lifting up the people who are like, I was put here to change this thing because we have to get term limits for Congress and the Senate. And like we need to do a whole overhaul of the Supreme Court. Like there's so yeah, many that's... things that have to be like actually genuinely shifted and it's going to take revolutionaries to do it. And so, yeah. you know, I'm here on the outside to be like, lift you up. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do with you when you decide. All right, okay. y'all. Yay. Congratulations. Please tell the team that we all here at Small Dose that said congratulations. And we are so appreciative for you all standing in the gap. <laughs> 